I don't think I'll ever forget that explanation of baptism, ever. <laughs> hmm. This feels like a really important moment to me. Um, even though there's been a lot of significant work that's been done uh, over the last, well, a long time, really, by your transition team, it's a significant amount of work. It's a lot of work, and, um, and they truly deserve your your thanks and appreciation. You wouldn't believe all that's, that they have uh, worked through in the last, well, even before I came, right? They were doing all this work to get me here. And, uh, but this is a this significant moment. E- even though I, I got here in December, this is, in some ways, this Sunday is a little bit of a kickoff. Um, today marks the moment, really, when you as a congregation begin to do your part of the work. Uh, over the next few weeks. Your work really begins to kick in. You probably heard some of this if you were able to watch the video that Stephanie did, Life Together video that Sandra put together uh, on Wednesday. She did a great job, both of them did. Um, and you'll, you'll hear more from, from Lauren in a few minutes and from Jack just about what's about to take place, this process that, that you as a congregation of Blackdall, both visitors and attenders will participate in, and you're, you're part of being able to speak into this process of understanding who you are as a church, uh, being attentive to where the Spirit's leading you as you prepare for your next senior pastor, and you undertake all that process and how you get to speak into that process and all those different things. So this, this moment, uh, this is a moment in time when all that sort of begins. I told the session last week, uh, now is when things really start to hum. Uh, and it'll be exciting. But I don't want to steal uh, Lauren and Jack's thunder, which would be impossible to do. But, but part of what uh, happens here, part of the work that you do happens here. And as we gather together to worship, right, as we come together to sing and to pray, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to hear God's word proclaimed, because part of what it means to be in this season of transition is to be spiritually attentive, right? This this part that it takes of, for us to be spiritually prepared, to hear from the Lord, to be open to what God is calling you to do in this season as he moves and shapes you, especially as it fits with this, this really calling, this, this thing that is the purpose, right? Our focus, which is to know Jesus and make him known. And that work happens here. And so today, we're going to start a new sermon series. We've come through the Gospel of Mark, you guys have, in the, in the last little bit. Uh, come through Easter, and today we're going to start a new series that, that really focuses on the relationship between God and Abraham and Sarah. Because that relationship, even though our worlds are vastly different, uh, their God is our God. It's one and the same. Um, and God used Abraham and Sarah to advance the gospel, to prepare the way for the coming of Christ to bless the world. And it was all really about making Jesus known and setting the stage for making Jesus known. God used um, really ordinary people with a weird background, honestly, uh, to do extraordinary things. And God still does that in the world. Does extraordinary things to these people to make the cause of Christ known. But there's something really to note about this relationship between God and Abraham and Sarah. Because from the moment of their first recorded interaction in Genesis, we discover that God was moving them, moving Abraham and Sarah away from what they knew to something else, 
calling them uh, to step into a journey to somewhere. There's a lot of ambiguity in that call to move away from everything that they'd ever known for a very long time, calling them away from that to do something new, something moving them in this direction. All, all along, God is changing them, changing their lives, changing their hearts in order that they could indeed be a part of his plan to bless the world through the coming of Jesus. So we have a lot to learn from Abraham and Sarah, especially how they navigated this calling on their lives. Because the great thing about the Bible, if you haven't noticed, is that the Bible doesn't hide anything from us. It, it does not gloss over the gory details, and there are gory details. There are moments in the story of Abraham and Sarah where you're like, you know, you know, God, I think maybe you should find some other people because they're not so great. They're not heroic. They're human. And in that regard, they speak even much more clearly to us about how God works through the hearts and the lives of ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the cause of Christ. They make a big mess. They fail. They triumph. Uh, they fail to trust God in these critical moments, and God has to come in and scoop them out of these messes that they create. And yet, in, even in the midst of all that, God's purpose and plan to use them to bless the world through the coming of Christ doesn't change. And so this series then is important for us because it's a real story involving real people with all the beauty and the gore of humanity. It's about real people going through a season of change, called from what they have always known and done to a new thing, to this journey to somewhere, a journey that takes them on this path to help advance the gospel. And all they have to go on is God's word. That's it. So let's take a look at Abraham and Sarah, or actually Abram and Sarah. Uh, interesting enough, because they have to step away from their own names too, right? They start off in the beginning in Genesis eleven twenty-seven as Abram and Sarah. And then they become Abraham and, I'm sorry, they start off as Abram and Sarah, and then they become Abraham and Sarah. And I promise you this, I'm going to mess up that name over and over again. I just, we'll just go ahead and just, I'll try to read it as it is, but it's going to come out Abraham and Sarah almost every time. So let me start reading to you from uh, Genesis eleven 27. I'll read through uh, chapter, Genesis 12, 9. It all flows together. This is kind of the beginning of the story of Abraham and Sarah. Before I do, I want to call your attention to two things that I think are important for us as we step into this journey together. The, the first is, I, I want you to pay close attention to bits of their biography and the fact that of what God is calling them away from. God calls them away from things that they've known all their lives, right? I want you to pay attention to that. And then I want you to listen for this, this repeated phrase, I will. Okay? So listen for the things where God calls them away from everything they've known and listen for the phrase, I will. So let me read it for us. This is Genesis 11, starting at verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Cana. 
When they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. You get all that background? Did you notice that little detail in there about Sarah, right? Did you get that detail? For those English majors in the room, that's a Chekhov's gun right there, right? It's a little foreshadowing. Any English majors? No? Oh, thank you. We're, all right. Now to Genesis 12. This is what it says. You all notice that the uh, I wills here. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram and Sarai went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, and he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and, his, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar, altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me uh, pray. Father, help me, help us all to hear from your word. I pray that nothing that I would say or do or have left unsaid or undone would in any way at all hinder the work of your spirit. I pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Genesis 12, 1 starts this way. God says, Go from. That's the call, right? These are the first recorded words, this interaction between God and Abram and Sarai. And it's go from, right? It's an imperative. Go from. Move away. Get out from. That's uh, the, the sense of imperative. I'd like for you to keep that in your, in your mind as I bring up this next part. Because I want you to sit in this next part. Because God is calling Abram and Sarai to go from, to get out. Almost literally, that's the text. Go, get out, get away from. It's important, this next part in particular. For I'd like for you to consider what Genesis 12.4 says. It's a key passage. So Abram and Sarai went. As the Lord had told them, and Lot with them. All they had to go on was this word, go from, go, go from. It's an imperative. It's a command, go from. Here's the next part of that passage. So Abram and Sarai went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot with them. Abram was 75 years old when they departed from Haran. 75, which means that Sarai was 65. I want you to sit in that for just a moment and think about it. Now, granted, life was different then, but think about that in, in the course of your own life. If you're way younger than that, think about how you project yourself at 75 or 65 and what you project yourself doing. If you're that age, think about God calling you to go from. 
everything you've worked for or you've ever known in your entire life. Sit with that for a minute. Because if you, if you don't think that God will call you and seriously interrupt your plans, just look at Abram and Sarai. If you don't think that God will call something long established to move away from things that's always done before, just look at Abram and Sarai. Turns out that um, Robert Burns, the poet laureate from Scotland, was right. You know, the best laid plans of mice and men go off to rye. I think he was right. They had moved uh, in their lives, uh, Abram and Sarai, they had moved, as the text tells us, from the Ur of the Chaldeans with, uh, with Abram's father. And they moved, they were supposed to go to Canaan. That's where they were headed, which is interesting, right? Because that's the land that God eventually wanted to give them. But they stopped in Haran. What we, what we pick up here is that they've lived most of their married lives in Haran. They put down roots there. We don't know exactly why they stopped, but we can, we can do some uh, redeemed imagination. Okay, Because Joshua tells us, Joshua tells us um, in Joshua 24, uh, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Now, Jewish custom in the Midrash uh, basically suspects that Terah made idols. They stopped in Haran because it was a good place to stop if you were going to make idols. And they worshipped other gods. That's Abraham's background. And they, they must have been successful because this text tells us that they, they'd accumulated people and animals. That took some wealth. They put down roots in Haran. They were there most of their married lives. Imagine that. Bear that in mind. At any rate, at 75 and 65, God calls them away from everything that they've ever known. Family, friends, their home, their religious practices, their traditions that they'd had before. God calls them, go from. That's what he says. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Genesis doesn't tell us how Abram and Sarah were actually able to hear from the Lord, given who they were, especially their background. But it's significant that the first words of, of, in Genesis recorded in this whole interaction, that the first words to them was to go from, to leave these things behind, to go from these things. It's significant, isn't it? That God would call them away from these things that would hinder, actually, the advance of the gospel and his purposes of blessing the world through them. They've got to leave this stuff behind and go to it, go to another place with him. But for the gospel to advance in and through Abram and Sarah, they had to move away from what was in order for new things to begin. I don't care who you are, that is not easy. That's a big call. To move away from things that we've always known. Move away from family, friends, in order to pursue God's purposes fully, they could not take those practices with them. They could not stay where they were. They had to go from. And all they had to rely on was his word. That's it. One writer said that the divine imperative simply instructed Abram and Sarah, Sarai to leave. <clears throat> they were told very specifically, he wrote, what they were to leave land relatives in his father's household, but they were, were told nothing of the land that God would show him. Indeed, divine imperatives seldom give the details of what's to happen. And yet, for some reason, some reason, 
Genesis tells us that they packed up and went. And all that they had to go on were God's I wills. Did you notice the number of times that the text repeated that phrase? Did you count them? There's six. Six times. You see that phrase from God, I will. And all Abram and Sarah had was that and this obedient faith. And I'm not even sure that it came from them. I think God gave it to them too. That's not nothing, right? This obedient faith to step away from everything that they'd ever known simply on God's word to go from everything. But God lists out all these I wills, right? God says, I will give you a land. I'll give you a place of belonging. I'll give you that. I will make you a nation. In other words, I'm going to, I'm going to make you a family. Remember that detail. Sarai is barren. This moment, right? I'll make, I'll make you a great name. But I'm going to change it first. I'm going to give you a purpose. Your purpose is that you will bless the world. You'll bless the families of the world. Not only that, God promises to be a savior and a defender. When he says that those who bless you, that he will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. There's Canaanites in the land. We find that later on when he talks about going to the oak at Miram, that there are Canaanites in the land. There are already inhabitants in the land. And God's saying, look, I will be your defender and your savior. And those who curse you, in this text, that curse means to take you lightly. Those who take you lightly, I will take them lightly. They will be excluded from the blessing that I mean to pour out on the world through you. I'll give you a land. I'll give you a family, a tribe, a nation. I'll make your name great. I've given you this purpose, and I will be your defender. Because through you, I'm going to do something great. What do all these I wills mean? What are they there for? Because they're God's promises. That's what they are. Joshua tells us at the end of Joshua, he tells us that he lived all the days of his life and never saw one of God's promises unfulfilled. These are God's promises to Abram and to Sarai. He's calling them to go from and through them. He will accomplish these great things. I will do these things. And you, Abram and Sarah, will be a blessing because through you, God will bless the world. Did you count uh, the, the I wills? Did you notice the you will? There are two of those. God gives six I wills, these six things that he's going to promise he's going to do based on this imperative to go from. And he says twice, you will. Twice. Verse two and three, God says, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, Abram and Sarai, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All these I wills have the you will in mind because God's purpose for them is to advance the coming of Christ. It's part of his plan to use these people with this weird background in order to advance the gospel, cause them to go from. God is calling Abram and Sarah to, to Sarai to move away from all they've ever known so that through them he can bless the world with the coming of Christ Abram and Sarai fit snugly into this larger story of the gospel, right? Because you turn to the gospel of Matthew and you read the genealogy, right off the first of the page in Matthew 1 and 2, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abram was the father of Isaac and, father, and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers and on and on and on it goes until we get to verse 16 that says, 
and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Go from, and I will do all of this, and you will be a blessing. Here's the blessing. Matthew makes that sure connection. And then Paul does as well. In Romans 4, Paul writes, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This whole idea of being saved by grace through faith in Christ alone was connected with this idea of Abram and Sarai. Hearing this imperative, go from all that you've ever known in order that you can be prepared to be a part of God's plan to bless the world with the advance of Christ, with the advance of the gospel. The gospel was advanced in their lives and through their lives, and it's a messy story. And we'll see that, that very often in this story, that the gospel was advanced through them and often in spite of them. I wonder if God may be calling you personally to move away from things you've known for a very long time in order for the gospel to take up residence in your life so that you may know Christ and make him known. Some of those things that God may be calling you to move away from may be keeping you from really knowing Jesus in a deeper way and making him known in a powerful way. They may be good things. It might be sin. But perhaps God is calling you to go from those things in order that the gospel may advance in and through you. It's certainly true of Abram and Sarai and me. I wonder if God may be calling Blacknall to move away from things you've known for a very long time in order for God to use you to advance the gospel in a new way. In order for you to know Jesus more and to make him known in different ways than you have in the past. Maybe God is calling you as a church to move away from things you've always done and, or maybe done for a very long time so that the gospel can advance. After all, isn't that the purpose of the church? Isn't that the purpose of the Christian life? To know Jesus and make him known? Haven't we received an imperative too? Didn't we just read it together moments ago in Matthew 28? Abram and Sarah had an imperative to go from. And we have an imperative that says, go therefore. Matthew 28, Jesus has all of his 11 disciples together. And he tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. There it is, tucked into this final moment before Christ's ascension, this mandate to his disciples then and now to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. It's a little clearer than just go to this land I will show you. It's an imperative tied with the idea of making disciples. This idea of knowing Jesus and making him known. And it's a call. And it's safe to say it requires moving away from things that we've known to a journey to somewhere we may not be fully understand or aware of yet. I can't help but think of these 11 disciples standing there, uh, this ragtag group of people, and Jesus called to leave their nets, leave their mothers and fathers, walk away from their, all these things that they'd always known in order to know Jesus and in order to make him known. 
But even here, there's an I will of sorts, right? Even here in Matthew 28, there's an I will of sorts. Right at the very end, as God had made these promises, Jesus makes this promise as well where he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Even as he calls us to go, therefore, he promised to be with us. This is a season of change and transition at Blacknall. This is a season of change in, in all of our lives because the world has changed around us. We can try to hold on to it and make it what it once was, but it will never be what it once was. Everything has changed. But the call to know Jesus and make him known doesn't change. Perhaps the way we do it does. And God's I will and Jesus's I will be with you always, that doesn't change either. And this call to know Jesus and make him known gives us this amazing purpose that we need to hold on to as we step into this great season. It's exciting. It's awesome. It's terrifying. Let me pray and ask the Lord, the God of the I wills, to fill our hearts and to help us. More than anything else, Father, we want to know you, to be led by you, to be shaped by you, to be about your work in the world. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to know Jesus. And so we ask, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you would indeed move within us. Lord, I especially pray for those who don't yet know you, that are here, that are connected to this church, that you would use the lives of your people here to bring about transformation through the gospel. Lord, you've called us to make Jesus known. You've called us to know Jesus, so help us to do that. Help us, Lord, to move away, to go from those things that may be holding us back, to step with faith into the unknown, knowing full well that you are with us always. Lord, help us to rely on that and to have strength in that. This we pray in the powerful, the awesome, and the marvelous name of Jesus. Amen.